you want to save time and learn how to invest in real estate faster, go to InvestorThrive.com to master the sales process from our training so you can close more deals with less leads, even if you're only doing this part-time. Or if you don't know where to start and need help, give me a call at 385-398-9862 and let's chat. All right, Derek, how you doing? We are live right now with Investor Thrive, and I'm glad to have you on here. How's it going? It's fantastic. I appreciate you having me on, Nathan. Of course, of course. And hey, kind of remind me how we how we got to you know to this point of how we got met each other, I guess. I'll be honest with you. Um, I think I got referred to you. I'm not 100% sure. My assistant lined this up. So Dude, isn't that crazy when that happens, right? It's like, hey, I'm on a podcast. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, we get the fun stuff. We get to talk. Yeah, no, I love it. And I, honestly, it's something I really enjoy is getting to know you and my guests and just, you know, because we've never met, but I think it's it's awesome that, you know, we can chat about, you know, what you have going on in your business. And we t- we got to speaking a little bit before and you're saying right now, you're primarily your business right now is uh, hard money lending. Is that right? Yeah, hard money lending. And we're still acquiring, our goal is one to two houses a month, okay. primarily, you know, single family or, or small multis. Awesome. Before we kind of get into that and just diving into what you do and how you do it, uh, you want to kind of introduce yourself to the people so, that are watching so they can know who, who they're listening to? Yeah, for sure. So I'm in Green Bay, Wisconsin area. You know, we're in an upper Midwest type of market to give you a general idea if I start talking about numbers or pricing and started in 2003 just like everybody else you know bought some fixer upper rental properties built up a portfolio 2007 hit lost that portfolio and decided that it was time to figure out well either quit or figure out a different way because when i started everything i did was bank financing and after 2007 8 and 9 you know the banking industry was completely different and my credit was destroyed. I had to rebuild. So that's when two things really happened. I started building a network, number one, which I never did prior, which was a huge mistake. And number two, I learned how to talk to people. I think that's something that many, many, especially starting out, many people don't take the time to learn how to negotiate and and interact with people in a way that's not sleazy or manipulative. Yeah. Wow. Wow, man. So let's kind of talk about your experience and what, how everything's going now. What do you think is, is it similar to what's what happened in the past? Like in 2007 with with, what's going on now or not really, I I wasn't, I was in high school still then. So I don't don't really (laughs) remember what happened. Well, I'm old as dirt apparently, but um, I was like, I was about to graduate. So it wasn't that, that young. There are similarities. It won't be the same. In my opinion, it won't be the same effect because what really drove that uptick in house pricing back then was investors selling to other investors. Mm. spec home builders selling to landlords and this time we've got a lot more uh, of the sales have been homeowners Mm -hmm. there there is a shortage of of dwelling units uh, according to the mainstream media i don't feel it's nearly as as large as what the mainstream media wants people to believe right and and i think that people are they will do what they have to do to keep a roof over their head including you know moving in with family or commingling families if pricing is too high or there is a lack of units in their area. So I see this market transition for me as a huge opportunity. For a lot of people, I think they're very nervous. Wholesalers, I know that's your niche. I, I don't think wholesalers are gonna get the 30, 40, 50, 60, $70,000 wholesale fees they've been able to pull the last two, three years. Oh, definitely not. And I feel like a lot of wholesalers have built up such a huge um, overhead cost with marketing and, and staff where they're only as good as their next few deals and, and they could start 
hurting pretty badly in the next couple of months. I think you're spot on. I mean, I think wholesaling, having a wholesaling business, the way it's been built out for the last, over the last two years is not sustainable now, or even really back in over the last two years, or it's just not a good model to just be spending tons and tons of money to just have to sell deals to have money come back. So I agree, I agree with you. On the flip side of that, the opportunity that's going to, and I say is going to, it's already here is dealing direct to consumer, but structuring deals in more creative ways utilizing options and leases and seller carryback financing subject to purchasing you know all these different strategies if used properly who cares what the interest rates are if i can go buy somebody's house subject to their three percent mortgage that has 28 years left on it i'm fine with that depending on your market in the midwest we can still buy cash flow so i don't necessarily need a lot of equity in that property if the if their loan terms are good Um, if you're in a higher priced market where you need that equity you have to know your market, of course. Of course, yeah. But another opportunity that's out there right now is is using options. There's a lot of people, let's take Florida, for example. Hurricane came through. There's plenty of people that don't have proper insurance on their property or they need to pay their deductible on their insurance to get their buildings repaired. You could go and, and just approach those people via door knocking or a letter campaign or, or whatever you, you typically do for your marketing and give somebody $10,000 to fix their house in return for an option to purchase their property for the next 10, 20, 30 years you know, allowing them to stay there for now, but giving yourself future inventory. It's a great way to build up your retirement account, right? Explain that to me again. So you let them stay in it for a certain amount of time? Well, every option is, is completely different. There are no rules. So Nathan, if you had a house that, you know, had a blue tarp on it and you're in Cape Coral, Florida, and that house is worth half a million dollars, you know, we, we talk and I said, well, I'm willing to give you the money you need to repair your house. And through our conversation, again, this goes to how do you talk to people? We, we need to solve their problem. We're not there to take advantage of their, their issue. We're there to solve it. Yeah. So through that discovery, we find out that, you know, they've got kids in high school. They're going to be graduating in a few years. And, and at that point, they're going to want to downsize to a smaller home anyway. Okay, great. Nathan, if I gave you 20 grand right now today to fix your house that's currently worth half a million dollars and you give me the next 20 years to buy your house for half a million dollars minus what I already gave you as option consideration, I'll allow you to stay there for at least five more years until your kids have graduated and they're gone. Okay. And that th- So I have a 20 year option. I cannot exercise for the first five years. After that, I can exercise anytime in our agreed upon timeframe. The majority of options don't get exercised. Options are, are used as a, a currency. I could trade that option to somebody else. I could sell that option to somebody else. You as the homeowner may approach me in two or three years and say, you know what, Derek, we want to keep our house. Um, We're back on our feet. What do we need to do to buy your option back? Hmm. So it's a currency. Okay. Interesting. So I'm just curious if I understand this correctly. So you, you give them the money to repair the home, they stay in it and you're buying it over 20 years. Do you just happen to have that kind of money laying around to, to put into a house that you're not going to be getting any rent from or any income? So that depends on what you have. Like I mentioned, retirement accounts. If somebody has a small IRA, for example, maybe they've got $20,000 sitting in that IRA and they don't care about cash flow and 
their IRA is gaining all of that future equity. So in 20 years, do you think that half million dollar house is going to be worth more than half a million? Right, right. Most likely. So let's say 10 years went by and that house is now worth $700,000. You exercise your option to buy it for 500. You turn around and, and double close it flip it, whatever you want to do at that time for 700. If you did that with a self-directed IRA with a Roth component, that is all tax-free gain. Are they living in it for free? Like, uh, let's say you give them 20. Are you they paying maintain, your mortgage? Nope. They maintain their own. They own it. All you're doing is buying the right. An option is a right to purchase oh, wow. a property. That is, that is good. So interesting. So you're like, hey, look, I'll help you out. I'll give you the money to do this. So you can stay in there, just keep paying it. But you're giving me the right to buy it in 20 years, 10 years. You said that you can you can do 20, but you can act, exercise it before then if you want. Like you can again, there are no rules and options. It's whatever you agree to with them, whatever the terms are. So in that example that we were talking about, they really want to stay there, right? Yep. Because they're they want to get their kids through high school. And then their plan was to downsize anyway. Got it. So in that example, we're not going to exercise the first five years. Anytime after that, I can exercise my option, go ahead and, and purchase the property. Again, most of the time, they're going to change their mind. They may want to refinance. They can't refinance without talking to you and click because you have a lien position against that. Is that what you, you're putting a lien on the property? Is that what it is? The option is the lien. The option is the lien. So you, would, you would go and record that option on public record. And for me, I do it different than most. Mm -hmm. I actually record a mortgage securing my option. So I don't put my option on public record. They pledge a mortgage that says I have the right to buy that property. And if they don't sell it to me or, or follow through on our agreed upon contract, I could actually foreclose and take that property away from them. And that's more powerful than just an, a lien. Absolutely. Because picture this, you give me an option and then you decide to sell it to somebody else. Mm -hmm. behind my back. And somehow it gets through a title company. They they miss the recorded option and it closes. What's the likelihood I'm going to be able to ever reverse that sale and get that property? Very low. Very low. I may be able to make a claim against title insurance. I may be able to sue you and get a judgment against you for money. It's a lot of work. But I wanted the property. If you sold it behind my back and I find out about six months later that a mortgage wasn't cleared, I yeah. absolutely can go and foreclose. Got it and still go after the title insurance. That's a better way to do it. Okay. Safer. Okay. Sweet. No, that's, I mean, this sounds like a great opportunity and honest, not opportunity, but option, like a, a tool to have in your tool belt, right? Like, cause a lot of people do want to stay. And if you are able to, you know, you, like you said, you have some, some money chilling in your IRA, might as well use that, right? Cause that's going to appreciate more in the long run, you know, if you exercise your option. And, but you said a lot of the time, options aren't exercising because somebody will want to stay in it. They'll refinance and, and pay you off. Is that what you're and that's a new That's a new negotiation at that time. If that property is now worth 700 and they're going to refinance it for $600,000 and you said, okay, I'll go away for a hundred thousand yeah. dollars. You pay me a hundred grand. We'll tear up my option. Right? And you're like, Hey, okay. Does it, has this gotten sticky for you where they're like, Oh man, we shouldn't have done that. No, it hasn't. But here's a, here's a better way, Nathan, because I believe you've got a lot of wholesalers that listen to this, right? I do, yeah. So as a wholesaler, you may not have any cash to go and get an option. But in lieu of getting a wholesale fee, if you were going to wholesale a property to a landlord and the landlord didn't want to give you your $20,000 wholesale fee, you could simply say, great, assign the contract, you go ahead and close on the property, but I want an option to purchase this property from you at whatever you agree upon for 
however long you agree upon. And that option doesn't have to be for 100%. It could be, I get an option for 20% of the equity in the property someday in the future when you decide to sell. Mm, so that's how you get paid off. Right. Do you think so, that that's a way around assignments, assignment fees that they're trying to get rid of, assigning the contract? No, because you're still doing an assignment of contract. Your, your consideration, your payment is the option instead of cash. Okay, got it. Yeah, so you still have to assign it to your end buyer. Got it. Right. So a lot of I've, I've heard of that strategy. If you know, let's say someone you want to make fifteen thousand dollar wholesale fee, but it doesn't. You're not getting that. So you can do just give me three, give me five right now, and then I'll do an option for ten when you sell it. Or you could take the remainder on a, a payment note and mortgage on payments. Okay. Yep. You can get really creative with this kind of stuff. That's awesome. Oh, absolutely. That's so what I long, love about it. How long did it take you to master or, or I guess wrap your head around all the different options that are available out there? It's not something you read a book and it all sinks in. At least for me, it's not. Mm -hmm. Usually I would get into a deal and I would be reaching out to my friends and people that have done this and you know say, okay, here's my scenario. What am I missing? This is what I want to do. Do you see a, a better way to do it? And okay. as you do more and more of them, it just becomes natural to you. Right. So I can tell you one property that I bought. Um, the woman had a, she wanted $105,000 for this house and she had a $65,000 mortgage. So I bought that property subject to her first mortgage. I gave her $10,000 in cash. Mm -hmm. She carried back a second mortgage at 0% interest mm -hmm. with $200 payments until paid in full. And I then brought in a financial friend who had a small IRA because I needed about five to $10,000 in, in fix up money. Okay. So I took $20,000 from my friend's IRA. We drafted up a, a note, which is structured to where he participates. It's a participating note is what it's called. Mm -hmm. So my financial friend got a 6% rate of return quarterly interest only. And then I gave him a percentage of the equity someday in the future when I sell. Mm -hmm. Then at the very end of that, after we fixed it up, I put tenants in it on a lease with an option to purchase. So I stacked about five different strategies and solved everybody's problem. The, the current owner got some cash, okay. she got cash flow, she got out of her house payment. I didn't want to use any of my own money because it's against my religion. Mm -hmm. So I brought in a financial friend, gave me the cash I needed. He got a great return in his IRA, fixed up the property. The end users got what they needed, period of time to fix their credit so they could get a loan and buy it outright. Everybody came out a winner. Yeah, how long was the option to purchase? Uh, not option to purchase, I'm sorry, the lease option. How long did that was that for before? It was a two-year deal. Two-year deal. Did they bring any money down? Yeah, uh, I, I want to say it was seven thousand, eight thousand. I, I don't let anybody in without at least enough money for them to have a down payment and closing costs on an FHA loan. Do you use the um, the money sometimes from the lease option down to pay the uh, buyer? I'm sorry, the seller, or do you usually try to get someone else involved, like your friend? I use it. You can do that. I, I don't do that because timing usually doesn't work that well. I, I'm usually having to go in there and do some work to the property before I can put it out as you know to a tenant buyer. So I either use my own funds, which doesn't happen often, right. or I bring in a financial friend. And so, mind you, we also run a lending company. So I've got all my investors. My lending company is 100% is backed by people. There's no institutions whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. So you're, I'm assuming you're giving people like maybe what, eight, 10% you're doing to 12%. Yeah. We got, we got a fund set up. We pay our investors 9%. We lend it out at 12 and, uh, in parts of Milwaukee, for example, we lend it at 13 and a half. So we're okay. an, arbit an arbitrage business. 
Right, right. And then you make the points on there as well, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. point, yep. Is it two points? Uh, three points throughout most of our state and uh, four points in Milwaukee. Is it higher than where I'm at just because the prices are lower in that area? Because I do it's, two and 12 here. It's higher because of competition. You okay. have you have way more money available in your area, I would guess, than what we have. Mm, okay. Because people probably feel safer about the projects or something. Well, in the Midwest, we don't have the huge spikes. We also don't have the huge declines. So we're, we're a pretty stable market throughout history. Okay. And, uh, you know, in Florida, when I got destroyed in 2007, I mean, I, I built a house for just shy of half a million dollars, ended up short selling it for 129. Wow. You know, it was a, it was a bad, bad time. In time period, property values in Wisconsin went down 10 to 15%. So it's just regional. You got to know your market. Looking back, do you feel like you could have um, kept some of those deals that you had to short sale or get rid of? Or like if you had new different strategies or did you have to get rid of them all? I didn't have a choice then because lack of knowledge, number one, lack of infrastructure or, you know, I didn't have contacts. I didn't have right. people that I could reach out to for advice. And what I really realized was because we use bank financing for everything, we had zero control over our business. Yeah, yeah that's rough. Okay. Well, dang, um, this is awesome. I love this conversation because I mean, there's so many different ways to structure deals and that's honestly super important right now with how the, the industry is moving. Like I think wholesaling is such a, like a, I don't want to say juvenile, if that's even the right word, but like it's, it's, it's something people do when they just don't know a lot, right? They're just like, let me get it really low. And uh, if I do, I can make a fee. There's so many better ways to do deals. Right. And you just said a bunch of them. And I think educating yourself is important. So let me ask you this. That deal, that scenario you gave us where you did all those different options, all those different scenarios, how long did that take you in your investing journey to be able to do something like that with confidence? I would say a year to two years. Anybody that's starting off today that diligently started learning those processes and marketing for those types of deals, you can learn it in under a year. The reality is go out and find somebody that's already done it. Shadow them, partner with them, whatever you want to do in your market, and that's going to shortcut it. Got it. Do these properties that you can do creative and be creative with, they can't be absolutely destroyed, right? Because you, it's very difficult to structure like a lease option or um, terms where you can get someone in there if you have to do like a complete rehab on them, right? That's the beautiful part about it is you can do this with pretty houses. You don't have to deal with the trash. That's what I'm saying. I, I mean, I think the trash deals are make it difficult because I have a one that it's like, you know, very low interest rate, but the house has got meth, broken windows that people don't want to move out. So in order for us to even get to the point where we'd be doing a lease option or rent, we'd have to put like 40 to 70 in it. And the seller wants what? She wants like 20 down. So we're talking 90 just to get into a deal. And I think those, I think those kind of deals crush creative deals. You're right. What I would say, Nathan, is every lead that comes in could be a creative deal. And what I tell people, they're like, well, how do you find all these deals? You don't find them. You build them. You build them through conversations with the sellers. And a lot of people don't want to ask the tough questions. I start every interaction with a, with a new seller lead within the first two minutes of that. Typically, it's a phone call because I buy in a 200-mile area. So I'm not driving and meeting all these people unless I'm pretty sure we're going to contract. Exactly. But I've got, I've got an elevator pitch that I give everybody and it goes a little something like this. Okay. Nathan, we buy houses in several different ways. 
all cash is not a problem, but that's typically going to be my lowest offer. If that offer doesn't meet your needs, we could look at taking over your payments if you are, still have debt. If you don't have debt, we can make payments to you over time. Or in some cases, we just lease your property and put an option in place to buy it at a future date. That usually works well with landlords that are trying to offset capital gains. I tell you all this just so you know, I'm going to ask you some questions that most people might not answer you. Is that okay with you? Yeah, really fine. Elevator pitch, right? That's amazing. You know why? Because like the the way the strategy that I was taught and most people do is they they lead with the the wholesale offer, right? The low cash offer, and then people say no, which ninety percent then do. Then they say, well, hey, there's different options that I can present you. But I mean, you're just straight up front with it, and. Let me ask you this. So with you saying that and they say, no, I'm not interested in payments. I just want cash. Does it revert back to them saying yes to terms later when they know how low it is? And they're like, okay, let's, what, what other options did you have? Absolutely. And if you don't have the cash, you make that offer so low, they will never accept it. And if they do accept it, you've got a really smoking deal. That should be no problem with signing out. But what it really helps with Nathan is now when you're asking them, how much debt do you have? What are your tax consequences? What are you going to do with your profits? They're not offended. They gave you permission to ask those questions. Well, the thing that I see about it is like I did some Franklin. I've done a lot of Franklin Covey sales training, a lot of sales training. And and what the most important thing is at the beginning of the conversation is setting the stage or letting them know like where you're taking this conversation. Right. So if you just go in there and don't tell them what you're trying to do and you just ask all these questions. They're going to be like, why are you asking all these questions? But right. you, you sounds like you set the stage. You let them know exactly what this call is going to be like and what we're going to talk about. So they're prepared and they're okay with it. Absolutely. And, and even in the case that they still get upset or they still don't want to answer a question, you revert back to it and you say, well, listen, I'm not trying to get nosy or, or dig into your business. I'm just trying to help come to a solution for you. That's why I'm asking this question. And usually that de-escalates it. Very yeah. Quickly. That's exactly right. I mean, you got it when you feel like there's something in tension in the air, you feel something over that phone, you got to call it out, right? You, can't, you just can't be sailing through that because there's there's obviously, I do the same thing. If someone, if I feel like there's something off, I'm like, hey, did I say something that might've offended you, right? Like, or did I say something wrong? And maybe you don't like all these questions. I, I really, I agree with you. I think that's an awesome sales technique. So let's, let, we talked earlier about this, about you have a book that you're coming out with and you have, I think a, a seminar, is that right? Yeah, so. Talk about those. I've got a book that I'm authoring, which is how anybody can be a private lender. It's it's A to Z. And I'll preempt this, Nathan, with I was a construction worker with a high school, you know, I'll say a PhD. I've got a public high school diploma, That's right. and a good work ethic, right? That's right. I never saw myself being a, a lender pushing 20 loans a month. And it got to the point where we were just raising private capital for our own deals and we raised more money than we had deals. And then we started lending to our friends right? Is an arbitrage. So anybody can do it. That's what the book is about. And it's going to be published hopefully in, in January. We're about a month behind schedule right now. I've also got a, a, another book that I'm co-authoring with a bunch of other cool investors. And um, I'd like to give both of those away free to your listeners. Yes. Electronic version. We'll email to you as soon as it's ready. Please do. You, I, have a, I have a Facebook group, right? So you, you know, you can go in there and post that. Okay. Awesome. Anybody that's listening can shoot me an email. Just my private email, personal email is my first name, Derek, D-E-R-E-K at bestreifunding.com, which is my lending company. And um, we'll throw you on that list for when the books are out and we'll, my assistant will hit send and they'll come out to everybody that wants one. Do I have the email right? That's going across the bottom, Derek? Um, you got to put best and then REI funding. Okay. Hold on. Derek at best REI funding. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yep. 
com. Dot com. Let's check this out. You got to give me the approval. You got to give me the thumbs up. Best, Derek at bestreifunding.com. Cool. Absolutely. That, guys, you heard it here first. If you want some free books, I mean, why not? For some free books, check it out. There it is. The, uh, the other thing real quick, um, the Generations of Wealth is a conference that we put on once a year. It's in Cancun, Mexico, February uh, 27th oh, wow. of 23. That was designed to be a, a networking event and a it's not for newbies. I'll be honest with you. Not that new, newer people can't come. Right. It's just, this is advanced type of stuff. And so I've got non-selling speakers that come in. It's a five-day conference. We speak from nine until one each day. Mm-hmm. From one o'clock through dinner is open networking, meeting all the people that are there, meeting the speakers. And then in the evenings, we have town hall sessions that are more interactive. Um, the thing I love about it is I encourage people to bring their kids especially hmm. if they're 10 and older and they can sit in on as much or as little as they want, no additional charge. The The reason it's called Generations of Wealth, people that taught me all this stuff used to run a conference. We took that conference over. They handed it to us. That was kind of a, a shift in generational knowledge. I want to do the same thing with our, our kids. Wow. So it's not about the kids learning how to do all these advanced strategies because, hell, most adults don't understand them. It's about the kids meeting other kids who have parents that are freaks like us. Wow. Building their own network in their teenage years. Cool. So, so those, those are the two things you got going on. You got the ebook that you're going to give. If anyone emails you, or you're going to put it in my group. And then you have the awesome conference that you're doing in Cancun. Yep. And that is uh, anybody can go to GOWVoyage.com, which stands for Generations of Wealth Voyage. And uh, this is not a sales pitch, Nathan. This is just straight up fact. I've got an all-inclusive resort that I've blocked a certain number of rooms at, and this is not a huge event. This is 125 to 150 is our goal. Once those rooms are gone, I can't guarantee that resort will release additional rooms to me. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's up there. Go check it out. We'd love to have you or your listeners or anybody that, that thinks this is for them. And it's a, it's a lot of fun. The people you meet are top-notch and this is this is how I learned most of what I know how to do. Going to the right events and talking to the right people, rubbing elbows with the right people and building those relationships. That's what it's all about. hundred yeah. percent. So gowvoyage.com. Yes, sir. Well, Hey man, it's been a pleasure, Derek. And honestly, I think you, you bring a ton of value to my community and, and people around you. So I want to thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. You got it. All right. Well, we're signing off and we'll catch you next time. All right, Derek. Thanks. Yep. All right. Bye.